What's up, everyone? It's Brian Horning here from Exact IT Solutions. I have with me my co-host, Reginald Andre from Arc Solvers down in Miami, Florida, and Randy Bryan from Tech Rescue down in somewhere in South Texas. I'm not sure. What Big state, man. <laughs> but welcome, gentlemen. Welcome to the show. How's everybody doing today? Doing well. Good, good morning. Good morning. First time we are first morning show. Right. Exactly, man. It's like uh, uh, 949 here in Texas, so it's early over here still. God. I get up at 630. What do you mean it's early? That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today we're going to talk about some <laughs> ransomware attacks, uh, and then we're going to jump into uh, some common misconceptions um, about uh, cybersecurity that we're going to kind of go through and talk about in a little bit more detail. Um, but just because ransomware attacks are not on CNN and NBC and ABC and all the mainstream media channels doesn't mean they aren't still happening because they are still happening. Um, my numbers say that we only hear about out uh, hear about around one out of every 20 or so attacks, like actually make it to some level of news or even get reported. Um, there's a ton of attacks going on out there every day that don't get reported. And the goal of this podcast is to shine light on those things, uh, bring this um, problem to the forefront of people's minds. So not only business people, but individuals can be prepared and understand uh, what they're up against with this with this cyber attacks. But um, you guys are doing a really good job of sharing out our show, subscribing and doing doing all that stuff. So we don't, we don't charge a fee for this stuff, so please continue to do that for us. Share this out to your friends and family. Like our stuff. Comment on our, on our uh, Facebook feed and our YouTube channel. Uh, that's where we live stream the recording of this. Uh, and then we usually, within a, a couple of days, we usually get the audio recording up on all the uh, popular podcasting platforms. Uh, so that's all I got to say is share out our stuff. So um, you guys got anything you want to share before we jump into our first topic here, which is going to be talking about a ransomware gang that disappeared, but now they're back. So before we jump into that, anything you guys want to throw out there to the audience? No, I'm good on my side. Cool. Yeah, good over here, too. Awesome. Great. So Black Matter rises the article states that black matter rises from the ashes and i'll throw it up on the screen here in a second um but essentially there's there's earmarkings by this group called black matter that has shown up on the dark web as a ransomware group and a lot of the things that they're doing are similar to what we have seen with another group that has disappeared called dark side and dark side were uh, a very notorious hacking group that were the ones that um, were achieved the colonial pipeline attack. Um, they were the, the ones behind that, but they were behind many, many others before that. So I'm going to share my screen. Andre, what do you know about this? Yeah, so essentially, as you mentioned, uh, Black Matter is now a sense, a new opportunistic, if I would call it that, and um, essentially what they're going to do is they're going to start attacks and they're going to be going under that name. Uh, we do know the next um, holiday or major holiday is going to be, um, what is it, uh, Labor Day, September the 6th. 
So this is just kind of a, uh, a warning that they're getting ready for a next major attack and they're just gonna be going under a new name. But um, as I always say, you know, same script, but just different different cast and different, um, different name. And I think it's hilarious that they have actually published some guidelines of types of industries they will not attack. Um, the other, the other organization was kind of notorious for attacking those. So it's pretty interesting. Well, actually, no, this is kind of one of the earmarkings of dark side because they said that they wouldn't attack. They were one of the ones that came out and said like, we won't attack hospitals and things like that. They've, they seem to add oil and gas industry to it. Interestingly enough, hmm. um, probably because of the response that they received uh, after they hit Colonial, assuming that this is the same group behind it. But you're right. They did identify sectors that they, you know, maybe if they do attack them, they'll, they'll give you the keys back for free or something like that. Yeah, it says know. they'll do that. So what else, uh, what else did you pick out of this article that you guys found interesting? I'm comfortable with silence. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, you know, just going back to the just going back to the rules for a second. Um, the fact that they're choosing these industries that are the hot industries, the one that's gonna make the news, kind of just goes to what we're gonna be talking about the end as far as sure. like they're okay, they're not gonna go after these big, you know, corporations and things like that that's gonna cause disruption. They're gonna go after the smaller businesses that's not gonna make the news. And you're not going to have the government coming to help you remediate that situation or go to bat for you. Very true. Because before, let's call it solar winds, right? Because after solar winds, it seemed like it was one big fish after another. Um, and then to the advent of Colonial Pipeline, this was a new model that we've seen over you know, that period of time from December till now, so to speak, or since the last major attack against Kaseya in early July, they really didn't go after really big targets before. They weren't asking for like multiple millions of dollars. They were hitting up hundreds, if not thousands of businesses a week and hitting them up for 50 to a hundred or 200 or 300,000. Like that was how these guys operate it. And, some of these groups still do that very much so, and some of these groups are going after the bigger fish. And maybe these guys have decided that the bigger fish just cause too many problems and it's not really a good business model for us. Um, and to go after these smaller companies, like you mentioned, Andre, is a better option for these guys because they're not going to get as much heat and they're you know really – not going to have to deal with as much. They're going to have to deal with maybe the business and the consultants that they hire to get them through the incident. Um, but they're not going to have to deal with, you know, the FBI unless the company brings them in, which in most cases, it sounds like if you read between the lines with, with what the FBI has been putting out, it doesn't seem like business is cooperating the way that the FBI would like. Right. So, Randy, what are your what are your thoughts on that being that this isn't a like going after the bigger fish is not a viable business option for these ransomware groups? Yeah, um, well, I mean, I, I know we're going to look at it in just a little bit, but bottom line is no business 
is really safe and no business is really too small. It does say in the article that they're prepare, prepared to pay up to 100 grand for exclusive access to an organization's network. So if a criminal, I guess, gets access to the network, then they can sell that access to Black Matter. We'll pay up to 100 grand. Um, so I, I feel like it's something that it doesn't matter the size of the business for sure, that businesses need to be prepared for it. Andre, any, any closing thoughts on this one? Be afraid, be very afraid and prepare. And more importantly, they're coming after the smaller businesses. So the next thing I want to talk about is this whole um, this whole ransomware attack that's going on over in Italy. It seems to be a pretty big deal because it's it seems to have affected this region uh, called Lazio. Um, and it's affecting vaccine sites and it's affecting their ability just to basically do anything within the government, uh, even to register to go to the Vatican, I believe, is has been hampered by by this ransomware attack. Um, I wanted to bring it up, highlight it briefly, because it's one of those things that, you know, it's not making the mainstream media. Um, but it absolutely is, you know, a ransomware attack that is affecting a lot of people and is, you know, this is still stuff that's happening out there. And I don't want people to think that like ransomware attacks have stopped since, you know, uh, uh, July 4th. They haven't. They're, they're happening every single day. We just aren't aren't making the news. And, and quite frankly, after Kaseya, I think a lot of companies are apprehensive to go out there and announce that they've been they've been hit. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on this? What do you know about this? What's what's going on over here in Italy? It's it's sad because um, one of these comments right here, actually, the one that you have right here, it says right. people people are dying over this. This is like equivalent to uh, a, a terrorist coming and just you know killing everybody with bullets. It's like it's a it's one of those situations where it's like there's got to be that there's. Like, just like how we just talked about Black Matter and, and them saying they're not going to go after certain things and, and they're not trying. They're just after the cash. They don't want to hurt people. And it's just unfortunate in this scenario that it's, you know, people are dying because they're not getting the services or they don't or these networks don't have access to do their jobs. Yeah. And this is this is kind of cool, this article, because it's really giving you like on the street, what, what this looks like from the perspective of a citizen of this area, right? They, these are all quotes up on the screen. Um, you know, you know, this one down, this one, this one down at the bottom here, why can't hackers hack Exxon Mobil or Amazon or some <laughs> other blank? Um, yeah, they're annoyed because they're trying to get a vaccine and now they can't get a vaccine. Um, and, 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 you know, why do they do this? Why do they, you know, I'm kind of, tossing a softball here, but why would criminal hackers go after this type of entity? What's the motivation? Well, for, the way I see it is, one way I see it is that these th these people are now hurting and now there's a, a, a better chance for the payout to happen. Right, mm -hmm. exactly. There's going to be pressure on this government to do something quickly if they can't recover it and paying the ransom is, is that option. It's probably most likely, yeah, going to boil down to the money. Um, the article says that the region that's hit is also responsible for vaccinations in Rome also, which is pretty disturbing because of the number of people 
that that are affected by that. Yeah. And you know, it could also be um, in a maybe in kind of a perverted way or demented way. Could also be just for the being able to go on to the dark web and say we brought down this region in Italy. I mean, there's definitely some of that going to be involved, don't you think? I, I got to agree with that. I mean, they're, they're, they're using every tactic under the sun these days, so you never really know where this is, this is going to go. Um, so hopefully things work out out there in Italy. Um, unfortunately, they're, they're dealing with this, this cyber attack ransomware, and you know it's affecting people who, who really need the, uh, the, the virus uh, vaccine. Um, they can't get it now. And that's kind of disturbing and annoying all at the same time. So hopefully they get through it and they don't have to pay the ransom and maybe they have a good cybersecurity plan. Who knows? We'll find out. Right. But we'll update everybody as we learn more. It's fresh. I think it only happened yesterday or the day before. So um, it's fairly new. So we got this article up on the screen. Florida DEO discloses data breach affecting 5,800 accounts. Um, and it goes on to say that the Florida Department of Economic Opportunity says personal information may have been taken from its unemployment benefit system. And this isn't the first time I've seen something like this, not only in the state of Florida, but in other states as well, where these criminal hackers go after this um, employment or unemployment information. Uh, and what do you know about this, uh, Andre? And what are they trying to do here? Uh, well, this is uh, hits home. I, I don't know why we never talk about articles about New Jersey, but you know that's a different story. But it hits home on this one. Um, essentially, back in uh, April to July, we had um, a hack in the their our version of the unemployment system. They call it the um, DEO, and essentially, social security numbers, driver license numbers, bank account numbers, claim information, and other personal data was uh, the hackers got. And not only are they using this information to, um, you know, to, to steal, but they're actually also changing the account number so that the unemployment money was going to, to, to different accounts and essentially not the person that needed it. So, um, so that's, that's essentially what's happening uh, right now. And they just disclosed that it's about 58,000 people that were affected. What you got? What you got for us, Randy? What do you the, know about this? I mean, the crazy. Well, the crazy thing about this is the data that was stolen is not going to just be used right here, right now on this website. I mean, with this data, social security number, DL numbers, bank account. I mean, these these criminals are going to be able to to affect these people in a lot of other areas, like you know, maybe applying for accounts. Um, getting, you know, credit cards, things like that in the affected person's name, but actually the criminals control that. I mean, this is going to really turn into a, cl a cluster dump if people don't act proactively. And that, I don't even know if that's even going to help. Yeah. And unfortunately that's, that, that's, we're seeing this all too much with, you know, to me, based on what I'm seeing out there and, and the, conversations I'm having with businesses, this is the second most common type of attack versus ransomware. Like I'm constantly hearing about employees who get emails 
from their state unemployment office that says somebody filed a claim in their name, you know, and they're fully gamefully employed and never been to the unemployment office. Mm -hmm. This is happening all the time because businesses data is being hacked and infiltrated. And then they see that they have a bunch of information about employees, social security numbers, home addresses, enough information where they can successfully apply for unemployment on your behalf. Now, in most states, when you do file for unemployment, they want to wire you the money or ACH the money to you. So you're required or you can give them a, a bank account uh, routing and, and account number versus the old way where they used to just send a check to your house. Right. right? So now with technology, we've, we've kind of now circumvented that check where okay, we at least know if we're going to cut a check, it's going to go to the person's house. And unless some criminal's sitting on their you know, stoop waiting for the mailman to come and checking their mail every day, the chances are that this check is going to get to the, to the right person who's supposed to get it. And what's happening is, is that unemployment offices are wiring money to people almost, almost instantly. Like you get the money in your bank account before you receive any notification from the state, at least in New Jersey, a lot of times you will get money in your bank account before you get anything in the mail about unemployment. Um, so you could potentially, before you're really officially approved for unemployment, before it goes through all its checks here in New Jersey, you could receive up to two or three unemployment checks before you officially qualify for unemployment. The whole, the whole thing that they do here in New Jersey, and I don't know if it's like this in other states, but if they determine three weeks or, you know, down the road that you don't qualify for unemployment, they'll go and try to pull that money out of your bank account. And in most cases, what the state has to deal with is people already spent that money. And now that the, the account is overdrawn and the person now has, you know, the person has to deal with overdrawn accounts and things like that or the criminal. But what happens when the criminal has the money wired, they get the money out, they pull it out, and then they close the bank account. And now the state can't withdraw the money out. Mm -hmm. These are the issues that we're seeing with these kinds of, of, of situations. And at the end of the day, when the state takes or puts money in people's account and they can't get that money back, guess who pays for that? Taxpayers. Exactly. Yep. So and, and not even taxpayers, businesses, mm -hmm. businesses in specific industries like here in New Jersey, we kind of have a we have a payroll kind of like rating system, kind of like your 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 credit score for payroll. So if you have like a lot of people that go out on unemployment <clears throat> a lot from your company, your credit score is you know lower than somebody who doesn't have a lot of turnover. Right. So you pay a higher rate into the unemployment system than a business that doesn't have a lot of turnover, right? So the businesses collectively are actually the ones that, that suffer. And, you know, that trickles down to the consumer and prices and things like that. But that's how it works, folks. And we're, we're laying it out for you and we're showing you, like, how these scams work. Well, it might not seem like a big deal to you and your business because it's one person affected and it's a small amount of money. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really come out of your pocket directly, but it does come out of your pocket. You know, you do pay yeah. this indirectly. Um, and this is, we're talking 
millions and millions of dollars here that gets stolen out of the system on a quarterly basis by these criminals doing these things. So that's why we brought it up. That's why we wanted to talk about it. Um, I'm going to bring up my other screen here with the other article that we wanted to talk about on this, Andre. Is that appropriate? I just want to make sure. Is there more um, to about? I just um, I can just quickly uh, say what it's going to say. Okay. Basically, yeah. um, the DEO, the DEO, they're going to be purchasing a year subscription of LifeLock um, for for these people. And I also, if we if we do the quick math, let's just say it is fifty five thousand people, and just one payout of let's just say six hundred dollars for two weeks of unemployment. That's thirty three million dollars. So just to kind of give you the numbers, and and we're just talking one payroll period. It adds up really quick. I would I would also encourage if you own a business to stay on top. You should have notifications if an employee or former employee, someone related to you. I know in Texas, we'll receive a notification if somebody files for unemployment. And like you said, Brian, in Texas, it's the same way where if you have no unemployment claims against your company, you might pay 1% payroll tax. But if you have a ton, I think it can go up, up to like 7%. You're going to want to stay on top of that. We actually had an existing employee, quote unquote, file for unemployment. It turns out it was a scam. The crazy thing was their information had somehow gotten onto the dark the dark web and someone had used their information to file for unemployment. So as a business, you want to definitely stay on top of that and definitely watch those notifications and be sure to file back or whatever the process is in your state. To let the state know that you know it's not a legit it's not a legit claim yeah all right so let's jump into what we really want to talk about today and shift gears a little bit and talk about these these five misconceptions about business cyber attacks um and i thought this was a good article because uh, to, to kind of bring this up because there are a lot of misperceptions and a lot of people don't really understand how this all works. And I think these are good points to kind of clarify, um, you know, these misperceptions that a lot of business owners have. And I agree. I agree with a lot of these that I've seen here um, in this article. So I think it's good that we talk about them. So the first misperception is, and then um, we'll go to Randy first and then Andre. Um, and I just your feedback, your thoughts. I'm just going to read the headline and then you guys can kind of give me your perspective on, on these so we're too small to be a target and don't really have anything worth stealing. And we alluded to this uh, a little earlier in some of the articles that we read. Randy, what is your what is your thought? Do you hear this a lot from from people that you meet with in your market? And um, is this something that you believe? I, is this something that you don't believe? What are your thoughts here? I literally hear it all the time. Not from every business um, that I talk to about cybersecurity, but I would say at least probably 30 to 50%. I hear it. And I hear it enough that in my, um, I'm working on a book and that's a chapter that I basically chose to write on was this exact, this exact topic, because it is a misconception. Your, your business is worth stealing. I mean, from, from an aspect of it's extremely valuable to the business owner because it's providing for your family. It's providing for the families of the people that work for you. But also we have to remember that you can basically buy cyber crime as a service. 
And um, looks like we lost both of you guys. Um, I'm here. Okay. We can, um, you can basically buy cybercrime as a service. And anybody with just a little bit of money that's a criminal can basically sign up for that and can use that to attack. So think about it this way. The Nigerian prince guy from 10 years ago, they can pay a certain amount of money, get cybercrime as a service, and it, it would be a big deal if they can hit a business and make $2,000 or $5,000 or $10,000. So this this is a huge mis misconception. None of us are safe. There's no small wall in a war to hide behind anymore. Um, we all are at risk. And so we need to uh, be prepared and take proactive action. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Andre, your thoughts. Um, that is also something I always hear is that, oh, I'm just a small law firm. I'm just a small doctor's office. Like I'm a, such a small manufacturer. And when I when we do our risk assessments and we show them all of the data that they hold and the, the information that flows through their network. Um, uh, funny enough, I had this one company. Uh, it was about, a, I think it was like $133 million. And even they still felt that they were too small and hackers wouldn't care about their information. So it's, it is a definitely number one um, on, on the list if I had to, to say. Yeah. So I'll just add to that. I agree with everything that both of you have said. The reality of it is, is that you're a bigger target when you're smaller because you probably have less resources to put towards defending what you need to defend. And that's just the reality, the facts. That's what we see when we go in and we do risk assessments. The, the smaller you are, quite frankly, the more clueless you are about what the actual threat landscape looks like to your business. And quite frankly, you don't even know what you need to protect in your own business. Like, you know, you don't know. You think it's software applications that you need to protect when it's really the data, what you need to protect. And when I have these conversations, business owners are so far off on what actual cybersecurity is and what they need to do within their business um, that the smaller they are, it seems the less in tune to this stuff they are to it. So that's what I see. So when you're smaller, you're more susceptible because you're not spending the money and resources required to protect you know, the data that your customers entrust you with. And that's a conversation that I have, quite frankly, oh, too much. Um, so let me, let me ask you a quick question on that, Brian and, yeah. and Wendy. So I think also what people, when they're, re when they're saying they're too small, they're also saying that, look, out of the, the millions or hundreds of millions of businesses that, that are out there, I'm like in the size wise or whatever, how is a hacker gonna find me, that one company over 200, other, 200 million other companies in the United States or whatever that statistic is? Can you guys talk about that as far as like, like how do hackers even find that one company? Um, there's a lot of different ways. Um, you, can be, you can be spearfished or, or targeted you know, individually by a company, maybe somebody likes your sector or likes the business that you're in. So just like you would do market research to identify companies that you want to do business with in your own business, these hackers are doing the same type of market research, identifying businesses and researching businesses that they can attack. 
Um, so they're using LinkedIn. They're using all these databases that you use to find businesses to market and sell your products and services to. They're doing the same research. They're using the same tools. They're finding businesses the same way. And they're looking up financial information on those businesses to determine whether they're something they want to attack or not. That's one way, right? Mm -hmm. Another way is they're just spraying and praying. Yeah, casting so, a wide net. Casting a wide net. And if they can get somebody to click on something, you know, that's what you see with your phishing guys, right? The guys that actually send out mass phishing emails that usually look terrible and are easy to spot. Well, some of them aren't easy to spot. And every once in a while, they they hook that bait with some some bait that that fish can't resist and it and it strikes mm -hmm. it right and and that's what your employee is that is that bass that strikes that lure as it's as it's going by right and that's what it looks like they they just keep throwing lines in the water and and until they get a hit they get a hit and then when they do get a hit they get that email past your firewall past your spam protection into that inbox of your employee your employee clicks on that link, opens that attachment, and boom, they get an alert right back to their system saying that they got somebody on the line. Um, um, that, that's another way it works. Go ahead, Randy. Yeah, I want to add to that because the days of having like a pop email box on a server and that's basically it, man, those days are gone. If you have a business and you're doing that, you've got to get away from it. You've got to get on something that like like Microsoft 365 or Google Workspaces, get on something that's going to have a modern spam filter. And man, I'll say something that I've been saying since like literally like 2000 is if you get an email and it makes it through to your box, A, don't open it, delete it. If it has an unsubscribe button on it, don't click on that because then boom, you if you click on unsubscribe, then they know that's a legit email. And that's going to go that's goes from their wide net uh, into their their targeted businesses at that point, because they know it's a legit a legit email address that somebody actually um, uses. I mean, so so bottom line is that the email is a huge vector of attack and we've got to move away from, you know, just having some crappy dollar a month email box on some service and letting people fight through it. I still run into businesses that have that. It's disturbing. Yep. And that's why security awareness training and a proper security awareness training program combined with phishing mm -hmm. simulations is also something very easy and simple that businesses can put in place to start protecting themselves against this stuff. So, you know, giving you practical ways that you can protect yourselves from these types of things is what we're doing on this show. And Randy, Randy just mentioned it's, you know, enterprise class email services with enterprise class spam and email filtering slash protection in front of that email. Uh, and then on top of that, you're still going to get stuff that gets through even with the best of the best of those services, right? We're not here to say that those services are going to protect you 100% of the time. So when one or two of those emails gets through every so often, you know, realistically, you shouldn't see more than a few a month, in my opinion, if you have a really good, you know, spam filter, there's some really good ones out there that, you know, you hardly see any spam. You might see an uptick when when spammers change up their tactics and it takes a minute for these tools to kind of catch up to, you know, the new tactics that they're using. And what I mean by that is they change the wording in the email. They change servers that it comes from. 
they take over reputable IPs that don't have a bad reputation assigned to them yet. And then eventually that changes. These types of things take, you know, a day to maybe a week to kind of get into place and catch up. So you need to have security and awareness training in place. So when these things do get through, your employees know what to do. They know what to look for. They know how to behave. And then if they do happen to click on one, they know how to report it and they know it's okay to report it. Um, so there's a lot to this little section that we have here um, that goes into it, what we mentioned. But, you know, these are simple things that any business, quite frankly, at any size can take care of. Do you guys disagree with that? I mean, the tools to do this are so inexpensive, mm-hmm. right? So right. misperception number two, we don't need advanced security technologies installed everywhere. Andre, what, what what are they trying to say here, number one, and what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so first, uh, we'll talk about the endpoint security. So uh, that's also just called in normal terms uh, antivirus. And we get a lot of times where even our, our, our prospects that we're talking to says, oh, well, we just use the free Windows Defender um, or the free Windows antivirus that comes with our systems. Although that's better than nothing, but there's been so many cases where hackers were able to just simply turn off the Windows Defender. And then from there, they were able to do whatever they had to do. So that's that's the that's the first thing about that. And then the second thing is the keyword where it says everywhere. So that's kind of saying, well, we're going to make sure the corporate office is protected and the CEO is protected. But, you know, that guy over there that sits in the corner, you know, he can stay with Windows 7 and he, he doesn't need anything magical about it. It's actually funny you laid it out like that because I see the exact <laughs> opposite. Oh, the CEO. I see the CEO going, well, I don't need all that shit on my computer because I'm the CEO. <laughs> got it. Yeah. And I and I know better, right? It's it's the, it's right. those guys over there. I got you. Yeah, that's right. true too. So so um and it's you know, you, you have a house and and you you have doors at the front that are locked, but then you left the, the fence open and the back 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 window a little eased out. So it, and that's how they get in. They just need that little opening just to get in and just cause havoc inside. Yep. Randy? Yeah, the, this um, there, there's a huge percentage. I, I, it's in the 70s. 70% of attacks are file-less, um, which means the, the antivirus is looking for files, and the antivirus is looking for malicious files. But attacks that are more sophisticated to that, than that are, are happening, and it's, over, it's like 70-something percent that are coming from these. So bottom line is just having an antivirus is not going to be enough to detect it. And, you know, with all these other attacks that are happening this other way, we, we need to, to get past that idea that, Oh, I've got a firewall and I've got an antivirus. So I'm good. You know, that might've made you pretty good like three or four years ago, but definitely now it's definitely not enough. I agree with all of that, and I have nothing to add, gentlemen. So we're just going to move on to misperception number three. We already have robust security policies in place. Andre. Yep, I also get this as well. Hey, look at this uh, router over here, you know, this uh, Linksys WTRG41 firewall. We, we already have everything in place. We don't need, we don't need anything new. And, you know, and technology has changed. What was okay five years ago um, is not okay. We just saw with even um, a very reputable um, router and switching company, Cisco, 
they had a lot of vulnerabilities. Uh, SonicWall has vulnerabilities. Those, these things need to be updated. Um, the firmware needs to be updated. And, um, and what you think was, even for our clients, what the tools that we put in place in our clients a year and a half ago is totally different from what it is now because how hackers are now changing their ways. As soon as you block it one way, they find a different way and they use that to get in. And then we're, you know, we're having to, to remediate that. The, uh, the other half of this paragraph also mentions having uh, disaster recovery plans, penetration testing. I mean, so the, so the other, the other side of the coin could be that they do have some, semi-respectable or respectable policies, procedures, software, stack, all that in place, but they're not doing anything to test it. And so they might think they have a robust security policy, but actually their, their disaster recovery failover for their server doesn't work because they never actually fired it up and tested it and see if it did work. So um, two sides to that, uh, to that coin. And I got to tell you, to, just to add on to what Andre said, a million times, I know it's not that many, but it's more than I can count. I've started this conversation with an existing client. Um, maybe they're, they're like a break fix client that called us like four years ago. And they're like, well, you're already taking care of us, aren't you? You know, we already have something robust in place. And we're like, no, okay, maybe that talk we had in 2009, you were good back then, but things have changed. You're not good anymore. Um, and so a lot of people literally think because they have what we mentioned in the previous section that they're good now. Perfect. Well, well said, Randy. I agree with all of that. The only thing I have to add is I rarely find businesses that have robust security policies in place. Yeah. <laughs> so. I ask a lot of business owners and they think they do, but then when I dig a little deeper, I, I discover that they really don't. Uh, and there's a lot that has to be said for this. It's not just about having the policies and procedures in place. It's about training on them, making sure that your people understand their role in, in the cybersecurity landscape at your business, understanding their role with disaster recovery, incident response, you know, all that stuff. So, there's a lot to it. Um, so if you think you have uh, security policies in place, you probably don't, and they're probably not good enough. Um, and I think a lot of business owners like to kid themselves and they think that like, you know, just having like a line or two in their employee handbook is good enough <laughs> for a cybersecurity mm -hmm. policy. So uh, we're going to wrap up here at the end of the show in a couple of minutes. And we're going to blow through these last two pretty quick. I kind of alluded to it earlier with training and security, but if you're not offering training and security, there's no way that this is true. That's all I'm going to say about this one. But our employees understand security is misconception number four. Randy, what are your thoughts on this? I see you shaking um, your head there. Emphatic. Yeah, because it's because if you look at the statistics on who gets a ransomware, um, double digits of them will actually get it again. And I believe it's because they go to that employee and they shake their finger and they're like, don't click on those kind of links anymore. I've also had conversations with with businesses that are like, well, yeah, we talk about it. We're pretty we're pretty safe around here, um, but the reality is they're not, and they don't really um, fully understand the implications and how they can actually get infected. So it's an understatement of the year, man. 
Andre, anything you want to add there? I think he nailed it on the head, but. Nope, we're good. Yeah, it's training and awareness is huge. If you're not doing it, you can't have any expectations around that. And the last thing we're going to talk about today, we're going to wrap up with misconception number five, incident response teams can recover my data after a ransomware attack. So all my, the only thing I need for cybersecurity is to have cyber insurance that covers that ransomware payment because my cybersecurity plan is if I get ransomware, I'm just going to pay the criminals and move on with my life. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, this is a statistic that says that um, hackers are in your system for 120 days before they do anything. And they that's because they're learning your systems. They're seeing what backups are you what backups do you have what is, you know what information do you have because they're they want to get paid and if they have to take a few hours out of their day or you know time out of their um cyber criminal career to figure out how do we make it so that when we hit the button and we put ransomware you we already know you're going to go this way and we're going to also have a way that makes sure that your data is also encrypted there so um, you can't just rely um, on your backup. You, you yeah. need to talk about how do you prevent these things from happening and then have your backup as your last means of, okay, we, we have something here. Yeah, a thousand percent. We're seeing a couple of things too. Um, I'm just going to add with ransomware attacks and ransomware groups. Number one, a lot of time they're, they're, they're doing this stupid thing, which I don't know why they're doing it. If I was a cyber criminal, I wouldn't do this. But they're kind of doing this thing where they where it's called like double encryption and they're using two ransomware strains to encrypt your data in the event that you are able to get the key to one you're you're not unlocking the other so that you need both keys to kind of do this which that just introduces another problem to this which is what i wanted to originally bring up when i started talking here is that the decryptors don't always decrypt the files you don't always get your data back when they run these decryptors. Um, and from what I'm reading, the ecosystem on the dark web for people that get access to networks to the people that deploy the ransomware to the affiliates in between is getting very convoluted. And sometimes things don't work as smoothly in that ecosystem as one would like to believe. Mm -hmm. um, and Certain people don't get paid and then certain keys don't get turned over to other people. And those are the people you're negotiating with. And now they're behind the scenes trying to like negotiate with other cyber criminals to get the key because you promised somebody the key for a certain amount. And now this group over here is asking for more money. This is the stuff that goes on when you get a ransomware attack. So it's not about just one guy sitting in a dark room waiting for you to pay him a bunch of money so he can turn over a key to you. There's this whole ecosystem that is behind this that where a lot of different things and a lot of moving parts could break so, and go wrong. Yeah, and the, the reality is if, if this is your game plan, if your game plan is that I have good backups, you don't have a good enough game plan because – if that's all you're relying on, your your backups aren't going to be sophisticated enough to be able to come back from after a ransomware attack because they're going to get in, they're going to delete all your backups, um, and because you're 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 kind of showing your cards here that you know I don't have a really a ransomware plan because this is my plan. Your backups need to be immutable, 
In other words, they're, they're, they need to be in a, in a place, in a way that no one can delete them, separate. Um, and then they also, um, you need to have a good front end on all that to try to prevent it in the first place. And the other thing I want to say real quick, I know we're, we're going to wrap it up soon, is this article says only 8% of people that pay the ransom get back all of their data. Correct. Now, I've heard higher percentages. You know, I've heard it as high, high as 60, but 8%. Yes, yeah, so you, you're worse. not going to get your data back just by all. You're not going to get 100 of it back. Exactly. So that can't. This can't be your plan. Yep. All right, boys. Awesome discussion. Thank you so much uh, for your time and sharing your knowledge and expertise with everyone out there. I think we are making a difference. We're going to wrap up the show today. Remember, share us out, like us, and subscribe us to your network. It helps us out tremendously. The numbers are going up on our podcast download, so we thank you all for doing that. We're very grateful that we get to do this and, and spread the word like this and use this platform, and people are listening. So thank you all. We're wrapping up the show. We'll see you on the other side. Take care. Bye. Mm -hmm.